your place, Carl? Yeah, what do you think? It's really, uh, it's really awful. <laughs> Welcome to the No Drama Podcast. My name is Pastor Hoffman. I'm the pastor at Christ Lutheran Church and School here in Coos Bay, Oregon. And with me is Zach Lesher. Say hello, Zach. Hey, everybody. So, well, happy Father's Day. And a happy Father's Day to you. So, it looks like uh, we had some we had some dads in church today. I was glad for that. Always a, always the proper place to be with your family if you ever want to celebrate fatherhood on any day of the week. Well, you celebrate Christ, and that's what fathers do. So, not only that, we have the perfect father and God the Father, who is uh, overall, through our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ, has redeemed us from the law and the wages of sin by the Holy Spirit. So... We have a perfect loving father who's in heaven for Father's Day also. So it's win-win. <laughs> well, um, so today we're with, we talked a little bit about it. And what Zach and I are going to do is we're going to take Romans 11. We're going to go through verse 10 today. And then we got some stuff to talk about um, uh, relating to it as well as related to who we are even as men and fathers in Christ. So, no further ado, I'll read the first 10 verses and then we can uh we can break it down a little bit. Starting in uh chapter 11 verse 1, St. Paul writes, "I ask then, has God rejected his people? By no means, for I myself am an Israelite, a descendant of Abraham, a member of the tribe of Benjamin. God has not rejected his people whom he foreknew." Do you not know what the scripture says of Elijah, how he appeals to God against Israel? Lord, they have killed your prophets and have demolished your altars, and I alone am left, and they seek my life. But what is God's reply to him? I have kept for myself 7,000 men who have not bowed the knee to Baal, so too at the present time there is a remnant chosen by grace. But if it is by grace, it is no longer on the basis of works. Otherwise, grace would no longer be grace. For when? What then? Israel failed to obtain what it was seeking. The elect obtained it, but the rest were hardened, as it is written. God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see and, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. And David says, Let their table become a snare and a trap, a stumbling block, and a retribution for them. Let their eyes be darkened so that they cannot see and bend their backs forever. Thus the Amen. reading. Mm -hmm. So, uh, I, I find it, um, I find it once again, St. Paul it really gets into talking about how God works and how God has revealed how God works. 
And that is often disturbing to people because when he talks about these people who deserve nothing, they deserve nothing, nothing good, I should say. And then God actually calls from them all of these apostate, sinful, unloving, unbelieving, uncaring, and he pulls out a remnant of them. And they go, well, what does he do that? Well, by grace is why he does it for all of us. Yeah, and the important thing is, is to remember the Bible was not written with chapter breaks and verses. So, you know, Paul's continuing from chapter 10 on the same train of thought here. Yeah. And when we pick up next week, you know, he's going to kind of, you know, roll in with the Gentiles. But, I mean... Okay, so a Calvinist would argue here, see, it's all about the elect. But like I just said, no, 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 no. You want to go back to chapter 10 and everything Paul is saying here. Why are these people elect? Because they haven't participated in the idolatry, you know, that Israel was participating in, you know? Absolutely. Um, so, yeah, these people already had God's commands, and they've already chosen to reject those. Willful rejection of God's law. I mean, this is in our confessions, you know, like King David will end you up in a bad place. Well, and that I think is really important to point out that when when St. Paul says, you know, that these are the people that didn't bow to Baal or Baal to the false Lord, the false God, that is important. And he'll even liken it to say, you know, you understand them not doing that is by grace. And once again, we see the work of God in giving us faith and grace. Well, there's just not enough good things to say about that as far as going, phew! Hey, you know what? If we look at this, this is actually an argument against double predestination. Oh, I because agree. Paul says, you know, did God forsake his people? No! You know what I mean? So if it was truly by the elect, then these everybody would be saved just because of their heritage. But Paul's laid it down. It's by the promise here. Right. And if some people were predestined to damnation, then has has God uh, has God rejected his people? The answer would be absolutely. Right. So. Right. So we have this actually an argument here. See, a Calvinist would argue that that this is for election, but, I mean, we can clearly see this is against election. Paul's saying they don't get in because of who they are. They're getting in because of Christ, you know, and they've rejected Christ. Why? Because they've participated in idolatry. Well, and election, uh, according to that, that Calvinist stuff, is so complex, and it's so um, kind of hot and cold. You know, the election, election doesn't even, ugh, I'm sorry, I'm just getting frustrated. I'm falling all over my words because literally when you read this in the Greek, it is, has he cast them away? Has he thrown them out like trash? And, um, and arguably St. Paul could say, <laughs> not for a lack of not deserving it. But, um, so anytime you see God showing mercy to people who don't deserve it, you can't start saying that he predestined them to hell because then they would have to say, yeah, he did cast almost all of them off. Well, and some people don't like cherry picking texts, but that's kind of what Paul does here, too. 
God gave them a spirit of stupor, eyes that would not see, and ears that would not hear, down to this very day. But if you go read that in context, uh, what's going on is is God foreknew that these people would harden their hearts against him, that, that they weren't going to take grace no matter what. I mean, Jesus still preached to the people. And don't forget, Jesus went out and he wept. And he says, oh, Jerusalem, Jerusalem, how I long to gather you like a hen gathers her chicks, but you would not. You know, so it's not like you can have faith apart from Jesus, but Jesus is there preaching spirit by his words, and they wouldn't. The Pharisees and, and the religious leaders, they just wouldn't. Well, take it all the way back to Pharaoh while we're at it. And, um, you know, his hardened heart was like, no. The true God is telling you to let my people go. No, then fine, suffer in your own death and unbelief. Oh, and again, that's where I say repentance is, is sort of, or suffering is sort of a gift, because what was God doing through those seven plagues of Egypt? He was trying to uh, have Pharaoh repent. That's the whole point of your life being hard, is that you see a it's not right here, you know, it's out of order, there's yeah. chaos, and sin, and things break, and people hurt, and and that's all, let's go back to Adam for that, <laughs> Adam and the devil, but you see what I'm saying, that that, that suffering, it, it can be good, because it can lead you into repentance, and God is patient, and loving, and kind enough to give us the right amount of suffering that we, that he knows we can handle, without being faithless. But if you keep hardening your heart and hardening your heart and hardening your heart, it just might get hard there. So, Well, that's, that's obviously the argument against the antinomians who anytime the law is invoked, they hate it. Because again, when God sends gnats and plagues and everything, understand that's preaching. That's how God preaches the law. And, it, uh, and when he preaches the law we see great suffering. Yeah, if you were to give me the gospel without the law, it would be worthless to me. What need do I have of this Jesus without showing me first how I have failed what God commands? You know what I mean? Absolutely. Uh, yeah, so you have gospel reductionalism when you pitch the law. The law is not our justification, but... That does not mean the law doesn't serve the functions of a curb, a mirror, and a guide. Absolutely. And, and once again, uh, and you, you said it with the gospel reductionism, the truth is, is you cannot preach one of the appointed texts for the Sunday and say, well, unfortunately, there, there isn't a right law and gospel to distinguish here. I mean, people, if they're not seeing it, they're sort of overlooking it, whether it's law or gospel. Because whenever, whenever the greatest teachings in the scripture are by our Lutheran confessions, the law and the gospel. And so when we read them, you know, you'll have people going, oh, you're just trying to fit that in there. No way. There's so much law and gospel in all of our readings that you would, you would have to be as blind as Paul to, uh, to, to, see, to miss it. 
Well, and Paul really reiterates it, you know, by saying, so we're saved by faith. And then he goes on to say, well, what shall we say then? Shall we sin more than grace may abound? No! <laughs> then, then you're not getting it, right? You're getting gospel, you know, as opposed to the true gospel. So true faith, you know, not only holds to the promise of Christ, but true faith has the spirit, which sanctifies you in both the broad and narrow sense, and you begin to do the works of the law from a grateful heart from the gospel. I mean, don't focus so much on you as opposed to just taking the good gifts of Christ and, and the good will come from you. Yeah, well, there's always the old Adam that's going, are you sure? <laughs> I would argue that's the devil coercing Adam, but uh, yeah, that, that voice, did I do enough? And that was Luther's problem with Rome. You know, even if God did 99%, how are you sure you did one? Right. And he's... There's... He's, yeah. Well, and that's always the problem is... And even you use a good... You use a good breakdown. 99 to 1. Okay, 99 to 1. How am I sure that I did the 1%? What if I did 0.09% or 0.9%? And, you know, that's just, it's, it's such a ridiculous game to play. And, and, you know, whether it's the Romanists or the evangelicals who are like, uh, you know, well, you, they, they don't tell you that their works are righteous, but whenever you're getting these kind of mixed messages, I really wonder, I mean, if they aren't. Well, and that's the sad thing. So much of American Christianity has failed because they understand, they don't understand law and gospel and how to distinguish the two. And both are important. But, I mean, I would say that uh, we put all our emphasis on the gospel, but the law still must serve its functions for the gospel to have any effect on us. Right, right. And so... And again, and, and I think it is a good reminder to, you know, when to, has God, has God through, uh, cast off or his people, I, I think, I think the question is he's addressing are the people who, like you said, aren't really seeing the problem because if God's casting off the people, he's the problem. And literally Paul is going, you know what? God's not the problem. We are the problem. Um, it's like yeah, if, if God does if God does evil things to people like so many people want to think, then God owes us an apology. If God made me this way, then you owe me an apology. But the truth of the matter is, I am a fallen and broken sinner who needs God, who needs restoration, who needs Romans 6 to talk about the death and resurrection of Christ through baptism. The truth of the matter is... is, is uh, this is this is what we're being told. God's not the one failing here. That's right. Amen. Um, and and let's take a look at Paul just for a minute to to look at God's mercy and His patience. And and Paul talks about his ignorance. Uh, you know when he was out doing his pharisaical duties and killing the the church, God still had mercy on Paul and. He picked Paul just to show how kind and merciful he is. I mean, Paul plainly lays that on the table. So it's not God who has the problem. It's us. Yeah. And 
you know, that's why the scriptures say, the author of Hebrews says, today if you hear his voice, do not harden your hearts against him. That means if you hear the text of the scriptures, you're hearing the voice of God himself. Don't harden your hearts against it. Pay attention. Listen, don't be like the 5,000 at uh, Capernaum, you know, who sure. say this is a hard teaching and, and walk off. Well, isn't that interesting that he was telling them that, you know, about the Lord's Supper? And how many how many times do we even hear that? Uh, that was part of the that was part of the topic of uh, of my sermon even today. When you're dealing with with people who are in unbelief, well, it's like, well, when do you run out of road? Well, when when Jesus says, "This is my body," sorry, I can't go there. You're not just saying I believe ninety nine percent of it. You're saying this part, Jesus, is wrong, or all the church fathers and the apostles got it wrong. Yeah, I mean, and this is where we have our assurance. It's not in our works. It's in the objective justification of word and sacrament. How do I know that I am 100% and not, you know, that I don't have to do the one because Jesus said, take and eat, this is my body, take and drink, this is my blood. Shed for the forgiveness of sins. Boom. 100% done. Oh, yeah. You, and you gotta... Well, it's... I always say you gotta love it, but... So, some people are deeply... Deeply disturbed. Because it's... Yeah, I, I don't know why. I don't know why people get triggered about that. I mean... I, there's weirder things, you know, like let's let's talk about a, a sacrament in the Old Testament, you know, that was a temporary sacrament would be uh, the bronze serpent on the pole, right? So sure. when people got bit, you know, they would look to the promise of God that, hey, if you look at this pole, you know, with the serpent on it, then you're going to live. You're not going to die. So, I mean... There's crazier things in Scripture. We, we The talking ass and, and, you know, just believing the plain words of this is, you know. Oh, yeah. Well, that's again. I wonder sometimes so often when they have a trouble with it, it's because, well, when you say that I believe that this is for the forgiveness of my sins, you're also saying I believe that I'm a sinner. Yeah, so, yeah. Some some people get triggered by being well by knowing they're a sinner. I guess I grew up my entire life knowing it, so it doesn't really. I mean, it bothers me to the point that I know, you know, I don't want to be that way. Like Paul says again in Romans seven, "This is not me; it's my sinful flesh." The real man, you know, the spiritual man inside delights in the law of God, but um, I mean, hey. I, I'm guilty, you know, I stand, like Luther says, uh, Christ redeemed me a poor, miserable, sinful being, you know, so what can I say then thanks be to God, right? Well, that's really the place we got to start with. <laughs> so you, uh, absolutely, well, uh, I'm looking over here at this. You know, and he even, I was noting that, you know, you were talking in context. St. Paul, of course, is quoting the Bible because, again, he's doing something that we believe in, that Scripture is what interprets Scripture. And as he is creating, as he's inspired by the Holy Spirit, you notice he does use Scripture to back it up. Um, 
he right here, you know, he starts to uh, quote from Elijah uh, on here, and he's saying, you know what, we have a witness to this in First Kings nineteen ten, even though uh, he wouldn't have used that phrasing, but he would he would quote from that, and you know, I think that's just really an important thing to uh, to for people to say that you know Paul wasn't just sitting there in uh, some opium den making this stuff up. Uh, he has a clear witness of Scripture, and with the Holy Spirit, his eyes are open to understand and trust that Jesus is who he was waiting for. Yeah, man, you don't, you don't really get better theologians than the apostles because they had full-on revelation. I love the text where it says Jesus unlocked their minds to understand the Scriptures. It's like... Hey, can I get some of that? You know, know right? magic poof. <laughs> so I have to read all these books. Uh, but, I mean, yeah, we're supposed to grow in our knowledge of God. And and St. Paul here, you know, he's in Romans 3. He's quoting, you know, he'll quote the Psalms and other places. Yeah, so he's saying, I'm not shooting from the hip, you know. So yep. these things were written long ago. And, and, and two... The person that says, well, you just have your, your Bible, you know, you just believe that book. No, it's 66 books written over thousands of years, and Paul, you know, 2,000 years ago is still using some of the older books to make his arguments, and yeah. we're using some of Paul's arguments to make our arguments for what we might be arguing for. So, yeah, it's not just a book. It's 66 books compiled into a single book. Absolutely. Um, so on that note, um, we have about nine minutes left here. I looked and, you know, I said it sort of tongue in cheek, but I thought it was a good idea anyway, because it's Father's Day and that we could have a good Father's Day. Your top 10 things that make you a real man, uh, cracked me up. But then I thought, you know what? This kind of sounds like my dad. <laughs> <laughs> and um i consider my dad uh i considered him to be a very manly man and uh you know and in some of the guys that even at, that go to this church here they're hard-working men and you know i would say they would score very well so why don't we just do you want to do you want to go over and read your list there or i'll have i'll have you read it you have a better radio voice <laughs> i got a great <laughs> face for radio too um so the zach wrote the top 10 things that make you a real man unfortunately i must add besides what you were born with if you have seven or more then you're a solid dude if not then grow up kid so again Zach lays it out here, and by the way, we're accepting emails or anything because this is good enough to where we will follow up on it if you, the listeners, want us to. But number one, and he hits it home, and if you start off your life with this number one, uh, you're doing great. In church and taking your family at least once a week. Uh, two that you hold to a traditional marriage, at three, and literally, as we mean from the Bible, uh, Adam and Eve, man and woman. Three, put your family first, and I'm going to say temporally. Four, treat others with respect. Five, personal favorite, have a beard. Six, no minor repair. 
Seven, you own a few power tools. Eight, you go to work every day. Nine, would lay down your life for your neighbor. And ten, a personal favorite of Zach's, you lift heavy objects. So now, for all you listeners, we want to know what your score is. Um, now, the truth of the matter is, uh, since heavy can be uh, can mean a lot of things, I got ten out of ten. <laughs> well, and, and that's how I was defining it too. Is he- heavy is a relevant term to every individual. So if it's heavy for you, it's heavy. Just be honest with yourself. Just like. Uh, do I treat others with respect? You kind of got to step back and judge yourself and say, well, do I? You know, so it's it's the same kind of thing with li- lifting heavy. Yep. It's relative. If it's heavy for you, it's heavy. So, I mean, you can't say, well, it's well, it's Zach's weight. Well, yeah, it's a different level. So I mean, uh, what's over... heavy for me, you know, might not be, uh, well, it's heavy for you. But, I mean... You know, what? what's light for me, it's still relative to the individual, so... Over 200 pounds, I can't pick it up. So, I can pick up... I can pick up 200 pounds. But after that, I'm, I'm really... It's got to be questioning, and it better be a car pinning one of my kids. So... But, you know, you're, you're 200 pounds versus... To my 800 pounds, they still feel the same to both of us. You see what I'm saying? Right. So my 800 pounds, to me, feels like you're 200 pounds. <laughs> Shut up and quit telling me you lift 800 pounds. <laughs> okay. But we'll get into number one, because, again, there's some humor in this, and that's kind of what you're known for. But number one, I believe I know you well enough to say... There is nothing to joke about on this one. No, um, absolutely not. And, and you know, I, I did have atheists and, and stuff in mind when I wrote it. And you don't want to uh, lose friends, you know, by triggering them. That's why I said, you know, if you got seven or more. But the most manly thing you can do is bring your family to God. This is how the, the old covenant worked, too, is the people would have to appear at the tent of meeting. You know, so you guys out there and me, Pastor Hoffman, we have to appear at church to receive God's good gifts, the forgiveness of sins and absolution and, you know, uh, hear the law so that, that we don't drift away. And it's 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 goes it goes with the first three commandments, you know, and, yeah. and you shall have no other gods before me. So get to church. And, you know, I wrote it two ways because some people are still single. If you're single, if you're a college kid, hey, get to church. You yeah. know, you are you might be more men than some men out there. And then uh, if, if you have a family, obviously make sure you have your family in church with you and you're teaching them. Sure. Well, and the author of Hebrews wrote, um, let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting gathering together as is the habit of some, but encouraging one another and all the more as you see the day drawing near um i was taught that that should be looked at as our our worship as far as gathering together as a congregation not as kind of a loner in the woods but to gather together with other christians who are also in need of christ and so that's that's hebrews 10 24 and 25 and so you know there's some good, I believe, biblical backing for your first statement there. Well, and that's the thing. If you look around church, 
you know, it's kind of crazy. There's a whole bunch of people there that without Jesus, you know, if I was faithless, we would never have anything to do with one another. But here we are together and we love one another, you know, and it's just, it's crazy that the people you meet, you know, all different talents and types and, you know what I mean? Uh, all under one roof, you know, for one purpose, and and you you and you grow grow to love these people, you know, that that are part of your congregation. So look around your congregation and just think, you know, without Jesus, you know, what would I have to do with these people? It's a good question. Then you you see how God really brings people together. Yeah, in some scenarios, not a lot. Wouldn't have a lot to do with them. Um. Now, here's a good one. Uh, you said, you know, put your family first. Uh, you know, there's a, that is not in conflict with number one because we do put Christ first. But uh, as far as when it comes to our neighbor and everything, you know, your family is, is a vocation in and of itself. On Father's Day, we have to say it is the highest of vocation that Luther says. Uh, to the highest of vocation, to be called to be a father. Uh, that honestly, when I, when I wrote that, you know, I had in mind what we're commanded as men to do is to lay down our lives for our wives. Um, you know, that's what we're clearly told in Scripture. Yep. As as the head is to you know love your wife and give yourself up for her as Christ loved the church. Obviously. You know, that's going to include your children and, and so on also. But, I mean, that's kind of what I had in mind there, but I was vague booking it. Sure, but, I mean, I get what you mean. And um, if you're, if you're like, um, if you're liking, you got everything else in the world going on and your kids and your wife feel like you're some sort of stranger, well, maybe you got to look into that and see... See how you're being as a father. And I'm not going to sit here and go, well, and mothers too. I'm talking about fathers. I think fathers need to be aware that they have the this amazing call from God to be the mentor, the leader, the, the loving, kind, teaching man that God has called them to be. And yes, I know the the sitcoms and the, and the public, the media and the world is really hard on dads and for that for all the more reason just to poke them in the eye you got to be a good dad just to say whatever world i don't care what you say i'm going to be a good dad yeah this is where we come right back at him and say hey real men love jesus you know real men and and i'm a builder you know a theologian and a weightlifter i don't think you can get much more manly you know what i mean yeah yeah and and there's been times in building when it's been hard, uh, you know, like 08. And I had to feed my family still. There's, you know, they don't care how you get a paycheck. They just care you got a paycheck and that there's food on the table. Yeah. And this is where you have to man up. And, and you know, there's some work that, that I had to do that I didn't like doing, you know, uh, as far as the building world goes. But I was taking any job. I could, you know, especially cash during that time. Thank God things have gotten better. Uh, but that was a hard time for us builders, and, and you have to man up. If you got to go work at McDonald's, hey, you got to go work at McDonald's. That's what real men do. You know, they take care of their family. That is such a true, true words. Um, you do what you got to do. 
And um, I, I, I agree with you. Back in the day, before even I had kids, uh, I was I my job. I lost my job. I was uh, I was replaced by somebody better than me, and uh, I was out of work for. And this might don't laugh. It was only a week, but it was a really long week. And um, I went and I went to the the job place and. I saw a dental assistant job and I applied for it even though I have no business. I applied for anything. And I got a job as a dental assistant only on the promise that I promised them I would work hard and I would learn. And the, the old school dentist that hired me was going, you know what? I like your attitude. So I got a job that paid my way for probably the next 10 years. Yeah, and that's another thing. If you say you're going to do something, just like you said, do it. That's another thing about being a man. Now, as a sinner, you're going to fail sometimes, but that doesn't mean you, you can't go apologize to your neighbor and, you know, make recompense uh, for, for what's going on. That's part of temporal life is apologizing and making things right uh, if you can, you know. Sometimes there's damage done and whatnot in between, but if you say it, if you say you're gonna do it, do it. You know exactly, and that's exactly what I did because I literally I told him my only qualifications were my brother's a dentist and my two sisters are dental assistants. That's not a qualification. That's a that's a that's a <laughs> reference. But um, now in this, I think you did a good job because they they kind of they cross over because you know we're talking pretty pretty boldly about the the um the vocation of fatherhood and it's an awesome vocation but it's tough but so then in number four you go but treat others with respect so to be a man and uh to be a real man you are somebody who is respectful which i believe goes along with being godly is to say that you treat your neighbors with as jesus says love well, and as you said, you know me well enough. I'm kind of moving into the second table of the law after laying down the first. Um, and that, and that's just it, is is be respectful to one another. Christ has, has redeemed you. He's bought you back. He's given you freedom to love your neighbor. And like I said, as simple beings, we're going to screw that up. So don't take that as be perfect uh, because you can't. That's uh -huh. the whole reason you're a Christian. But the whole point is, you can be respectful, and, and when you do fail, you can apologize. Nobody's above an apology. Again, good point. And, uh, you know, somebody, uh, like I said to my son, uh, I said, you know, somebody has a really hard time uh, cutting you down when you say please and thank you. So That's I right, they're holding the door for women. Come yep. on, guys. Chivalry should not be dead. You know, the world wants to say these things are weak and whatever, but I'm a 350-pound powerlifting theologian telling you it's not weak, and I'm stronger than these guys, so my, I, I hold more water Yeah, <laughs> in my argument. Well, on your what and not in your muscles, though, right? That's right. <laughs> if you don't know what I'm talking about, look it up. But, um, uh, and also, you know, being kind uh, and showing people that you are, you are trying to portray an, a sense of kindness and trustworthiness 
And that's how that's how men can really, in the eyes of their neighbors, succeed and fail. When they look at you, what do they see? Do you give them, like my pastor, he's also from Michigan. He said to me, he said, you know what, Bront, when you become a pastor, let me tell you something. Um, there's always going to be people who throw rocks at you. The, the trick is, is don't hand them any rocks. And I went, you're right. That is totally true. Don't hand yeah. them a rock. And the modern way I say it is haters are going to hate. So, yeah. I mean, there's always going to be the hater. Just ignore the scoffers and move on. Right. You're not, you're not a people pleaser. Uh, Paul says, am I now trying to please men or am I trying to please God? You know, so, I mean, obviously you're trying to be respectful and please your neighbor, but you're doing it through the ways of God. If they take offense at the ways of God, we follow God and not man, so. And past, and, and um, you definitely, uh, pastors need to know that. You don't want to give somebody a reason to hate you, meaning a temporal reason. Preaching Christ, they're going to hate you. But I'm just saying, don't be out there and don't be rude to them and stuff like that. Now the next, the next um, one, two, three, I believe are not the same, but yet they should be put together into a section, and it is these. Five, have a beard. Six, know how to repair, do minor repairs. And seven, you own a few power tools. Five, five speaks for itself. When I was in Wyoming on Vicarage, I decided... I'm going to do it. I'm going to break out of the goatee club. I'm growing a beard. And uh, grew a beard. And I thought, wow, that's amazing. I cut it off. I regretted it. And I grew it back. I've only shaved my beard once since 2007. <laughs> <laughs> so I, I honestly can't tell you when the last time I took mine off was. I, I mean, I trim it. And, and that's all I know. Yeah. Uh, my so, yeah, and we understand there's people out there genetically who can't do that. But, you know, we, we give you points for your chest hair and all that. You know, the whole point is don't be girly men, you know, be how God made you to be. Well, interestingly, um, the the Greeks and the Romans always differed on this. Greeks are beardy people, but the Romans, they purposely opted for a smoother, more delicate look because... You know, I don't really, you know, know how to say this, but they did like to have men that looked like women and the soldiers liked had men that looked like women because they didn't bring women with them. And it was kind of a it was kind of a weird, creepy thing that sort of caught on. And and the, the Greeks always thought, wow, those guys are weird. But um, there was the 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 training up and, and men being effeminate is the word I'm looking for, was considered to be kind of uh, beautiful. And, and I'm like going, ew. So, uh, and, that's, and that's not what we want. I hate when people, again, they, they do the sissy Jesus and they paint them all effeminate. Yeah. I remember the Jesus that went in and, and whipped people for turning his father's house into a den of thieves you know True. i remember the jesus who 
was terrified in the in the garden of what was coming at him, but like a man still stepped up to the task. So right. that's that's the Jesus, you know, the manly Jesus that we're trying to be a reflection of because you know, we have the spirit of Christ. And, so. and to cut off the haters before they start, we're also not talking about the mullet Jesus with the tattoo and the shotgun either that's not what we're talking about no we're not talking about american jesus ah, that's it that's what about, that's the, what... the jesus of scripture so yeah. we're not talking about mascot jesus yeah. here we're okay. talking about the one who's hard when he needs to be hard and he's compassionate when he needs to, to give us compassion that's that's the real jesus and knowing minor repair and having power tools now i married i married an alaskan woman whose dad is like, I jokingly, but not jokingly, always called him like Bob Vila. Because he was one of those guys that could like do anything with his tools. And she, when she married me, and, and to be fair, I was 20, but um, she was like, you know how to fix that, right? And I'm like, sure I do. I'm at the library. <laughs> and um, and so because her dad set for her a standard that a man should know how to fix stuff. And That's right. And, and again, you know, I don't want my son to follow my footsteps. Again, the bar is high on here because this has been my vocation for 17 years, you know, to build hotels, commercial buildings, additions, remodels, whatever. Um, uh, but I mean, we're also talking about cars and stuff like that. Guys, if you can't change a tire, yeah, man, come on, come on. There's no excuse there. I mean, I, nobody ever showed me, you know what I mean? Go out and start loosening some nuts. Obviously have someone double check you the first time. So you're driving safe, but, uh, you know, you should know how to do this stuff. Um, you I know, whoever my daughter picks is going to have a rough time. Whoever we pick together, I should say, uh, because he's either got to be Lutheran or willing to, to convert to being Lutheran. And, <laughs> you know, he, he's going to have to know this stuff. So the problem's not not knowing. It's being like, oh, that's hard work. You know, right. don't, don't be that guy. He's Lutheran or on his way to being Lutheran. Okay. <laughs> those, are the, those are the options, buddy. So they've been laid out ever since she was born. So they don't, you know, they're not expecting the same with my son. He doesn't get special treatment. She's yeah. got to be Lutheran or willing to convert. And again, that goes back to the first commandment. You shall mm -hmm. have no other gods before me. So if this is the one true faith, how can I give my blessing unless, you know? Yep. Well, and also this goes with your power tools thing. By the way, I got to give a shout out. <clears throat> My brother Carl taught me how to change the oil in a car. So he, by the way, is one of those kind of dads that he, there's a lot of things. He's he's a dentist, but he knows about cars. He knows about building. He knows about painting. He knows about, you know, auto mechanic. So he's one of those kind of dads too. And so uh, he gets my, always my two thumbs up for that. So, and the power tools, yes, they help. They make things go a lot easier. But we have, we're running out of time here, so I do want to head through this. One, you go to work every day. Seriously, it says a lot when you have to get up and do it day in and day out. But you know what? It says even more when you give up. And I'm not talking somebody who got into a car wreck and their spine was severed. I'm talking about somebody who enjoys relatively good health 
and that they can get up and it doesn't matter what you do if you're working at the 7-eleven or on the space shuttle um get up and do it every day it's good for you well the thing that blows my mind is people who are embarrassed of their work if they work in fast food or whatever have you ever encountered that yeah and and i always go well you're you're talking to a lutheran so we don't care we say is that your vocation yeah then be the best one you can be yeah, I don't, I don't understand why anybody would be embarrassed because this person's working, you know? Yeah, yeah it, just what you said, be the best worker you can be. It's a good work if I come in there for a sandwich. Uh-huh. You know, I want the best sandwich they have to offer. So, again, you know, Adam worked before the fall. He had a job. God yeah. created us to work, you know, be a man, do your work. So I'll say if you go to the subway off of Newmark in Coos Bay, you will get people there that will make you an excellent sandwich with a smile and they'll joke with you the whole time. So <laughs> they're good people. Um, so in, in these last two, well, the would you lay down your life for your neighbor? Meaning, yeah, are you going to show, uh, are you going to show a sacrificial love? And uh, that's actually a part of Ephesians when talking about your wife. Uh, but loving your neighbor, Jesus is saying, you know, well, many people would uh, would certainly lay down their life for a, a, a good person, or you know, <laughs> and, then, yeah. and he starts going into it, um, and that's true enough. And finally, and don't you don't need to mention your eight hundred pounds anymore, but um, can you lift heavy objects? In other words, have you? And I, maybe this goes back to going to work every day. It doesn't matter what you do. If you do something every day, instead of just laying around, your body is going to benefit from it. Now, if you do a lot more of it, your body will benefit a lot more. But somebody who's at it every day, no matter what they do, uh, that's a good thing. Yeah, and, and uh, you know, my neighbor next door, and that he's helped me carry this or that and I've helped him carry this or that. Some things are just awkward. You know what I yeah. mean? You can't you can't carry something that's ten feet long all the time by yourself. You need a guy on each end. Yeah. So, you know, and, and that's the thing. He's a welder, so he's a, a man in in the sense that, you know, he does all the physical stuff too. So, you know, don't look today's culture is effeminating women. Uh, kind of like you were just talking about Rome. You know, we're doing that all over again. Let's not do that. Let's stay men. And, and that starts with number one. That starts with Christ mm-hmm. and then works out from there. So let's uh, keep the beards and, and no makeup. You know, don't put eyeshadow uh. and stuff. What, what, yeah, what is that? Don't do that. You know, that's you're the image of Christ. And Christ didn't wear eyeshadow, okay? He, wore, he, he was dirty. He was a man's man. Also, you know? the pharaohs wore eye makeup, too. That's yeah, also... Yeah, right, right. So don't be like those sissy pharaohs. <laughs> <laughs> they don't even lift. The... Yeah. <laughs> they don't made the like Jews lift. <laughs> You're the image of Christ, and that's what we're saying here. You know, bear that image, because God's given it to you freely as a gift. You know, you get to walk around with that image and be proud of it. Be proud that you're a man, so... Absolutely. It's not only you're you're a man from what you're born with, you know, uh, genital wise. But I mean, to be a real man, you got to do the works of a man. Yeah. 
Definitely, and I think the Bible does give us an amazing view of that. And interestingly, that's the topic of my uh, my Fall Oregon Pastors Conference. Pastor Hammer is going to be out there, and he's going to be talking to us on biblical manhood. But, well, that is actually all the time we have for today. This was a lot of fun. I'll tell you, you know what? There's... This this radio program, you and I get to talking, and yes, we went over our time again, and they tell us to stop worrying about it, but we're still going to worry about it a little bit. But the <laughs> truth is that um, it's a good time. We get to talk about the Bible, and even on Father's Day, you know, this is a good sidebar for us to talk about because it has to do with our faith and who we are as men, and we have our responsibilities. But... Um, on that note, well, what do you any? What do you want to take us out on? Uh, God bless both fathers and mothers. God bless you, men that are out there taking care of your families, and 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 don't forget the Lord sees your hardships, He sees your struggles, and He sees your works. And on the last day, He's going to reward you for those works, even though we don't deserve it. I mean, what a great God we serve, right? Not only does He save our butt from the furnace of our own sin. But then he rewards us from stuff we do from faith. I mean, it's great. It's great news. So remember that this week uh, as you go out to do your work. All right. Well, thanks a lot. And I. until then, until next time, God bless your week and happy Father's Day.